Thank you for that prayer, Glenn. Oh. Well, we are in Psalm 27. And interestingly, whether you want to believe this or not, this is true. I titled my sermon days ago, Worst Case Scenario. Um, years ago, someone gave this book to me. It's titled The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Does anybody have this or read through this? Uh, I think they actually made a game of it too. I think there's a card game. Uh, but there's really some great information in this if you've not read it, information that we all need to know. Um, chapters about how to escape from quicksand, how to wrestle an alligator, how to maneuver on top of a moving train, how to deliver a baby in a taxi cab, in case you want to add that to your list of things you can do, how to survive if your parachute fails to open. That's an important chapter. Now, as with most successful books, uh, there's now a series of these books. Um, they're spin-offs. So there's now a worst-case scenario for every situation. There's a worst-case scenario survival handbook for college. There's a worst-case scenario survival handbook work edition. There's a worst-case scenario survival handbook travel edition, marriage edition, I think you get the idea. My favorite has to be the worst case scenario parenting handbook. Um, listen to these titles of some of the chapters in this book. They're hilarious, mostly because we've all been there, done that, either as a parent or as a child. Here are some of the chapter titles. How to remove chewing gum from your hair. That's important information. How to untie a severely knotted shoelace. We've all been there. How to remove a marble from your child's nose. How to remove a hand stuck in a jar. This one's interesting. How to discipline your child's imaginary friend. That's one that I've not had to do. And then my favorite, how to recapitate a doll. That's important. Well, in a, a very real sense that I'm going to explain this morning, our psalm today could be titled The Worst Case Survival, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook, The Psalms Edition. The Psalms Edition. Um, allow me to explain to you. Uh, what, I, what I mean by that. I, I want to begin by sharing with you a definition of a worst-case scenario. A worst-case scenario is a situation when the worst possible outcome occurs. It's the most unpleasant and serious thing that could possibly happen to us. In Psalm 27, David shares his worst-case scenario twice. He shares two of his worst case scenarios in his life. 
The first one is found in verse 3, and the second one is found in verse 10. Now, the first one in verse 3 is a worst-case scenario for him professionally. As king, David's the leader of the army. And so, a worst-case scenario would be if an army has him surrounded on every side, and then they attack him. That's the worst case scenario. You see, there's nowhere for him to go. He's surrounded, attacked from every side. You're done. Things could not possibly be worse for him professionally than to be the king of an army, surrounded on every side, and attacked. That's verse 3. The second one in verse 10 is a worst-case scenario for him personally. He writes, even though my father and my mother forsake me. You see, this is the worst case for David. He's already experienced rejection from friends. He's already experienced rejection from his brothers. He's already experienced rejection from his own children. He's even experienced rejection from his wives. But if his parents rejected him, that's like the last line of love. Then there there's, would be no one else to receive him. Things could not possibly get worse for him personally. And so in this psalm, David prays about his worst-case scenarios. And here's my question, why? Why does David pray in this way? Why does he bring these before the Lord in prayer? Well, if you don't mind me getting a little personal with you this morning, let me ask you a question. What's a worst-case scenario for you this morning? What's the worst case scenario that could happen in your life right now? What's the worst case scenario that could happen to you professionally? At your job or with your income or with your retirement? What's worst case scenario? What's the worst case scenario that could happen to you personally? At home or in your closest relationships or with your health? You know, many of us struggle with fear and anxiety about a lot of different things. We're, we're anxious about our relationships. We stress out about our work and the stock market. We worry about our health issues. We're scared of losing our loved ones. We fear death. And there are just a countless number of other frightening things that we're, we're tempted to think about way too much on a regular basis. And so, in a very real sense, in this psalm, David challenges us to confront our worst fears by naming them, not by running from them, not by avoiding them, but by bringing them to the Lord in prayer. One author that I read this week asked, but why pray when you can worry? 
Well, David flips that question in Psalm 27 and instead asks, why worry when you can pray? Listen, life is messy and complex. It's not all blue skies and rainbows. In this life, we have moments of great confidence. And we also have moments of great concern. And sometimes even those moments happen in the same moment. We can experience assurance and anxiety all at the same time. Things can be really good and really hard. Life is messy like that. And I think what makes Psalm 27 a favorite is because David brings together the messiness of life. He brings together the highs and the lows. He brings together the contrast of experiences in life. The first part of the psalm, verses 1 through 6, is written in the form of a psalm of trust. And the second part, verses 7 through 14, is written in the form of a lament. And so here David brings together a psalm of trust and a psalm of lament and makes them one. And so it seems that David was declaring his great trust at the same time that he's expressing his deep sorrow. And we get that. Most of us have lived long enough to know that sometimes life goes exactly like that. Well, my outline today, my, my, what I want to do today is to just give you some pastoral counsel. And I hope that's okay. I know enough of our situations to know that for many of us, Life right now is really good in some ways, and in some other ways, it's just really hard. And so if that describes you, then this psalm is for you. This morning, I just want to share four words of pastoral counsel based on Psalm 27 to encourage you this morning to encourage you to continue to trust God in your challenging circumstances. And so here's, here's, the first, here's the first word of counsel this morning. Number one, it's based on verses one through three of Psalm 27. Think about the what is, not about the what ifs. Think about the what is, not about the what ifs. Listen again to these first three verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. 
Again, the pastoral counsel is think about the what is, not about the what ifs. In these three verses, David expresses, he's able to express his fearless confidence in God because his thinking is not based upon what ifs, but upon what is. Am I the only one or are there others who are tempted to base your thinking on what ifs? Um, I don't know where to look to find the college students this morning. Normally, I know they're just right over here. Here's a couple. <laughs> oh, it's still to my right. Perfect. Um, but I can remember not too long ago being in your season of life um, and wanting to ask a girl out on a date. Uh, but being afraid to do that because of the what ifs. The what ifs kind of paralyzed me. What if she says no and hurts my feelings, right? Or what if she gets to know me and just doesn't like me? You see, we, we, we can't base our thinking on, on what ifs, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time in lots of different scenarios. We allow our minds to dwell on the what ifs, and what ifs paralyze us. However, David here is able to express this kind of fearless confidence because his thinking's not based on what ifs of verse 3, but upon the what is of verse 1. Listen again to what he says in verse 1. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. You see, when the Lord is these things in our lives, then we don't have to be afraid. And David purposefully chooses these three descriptions. They're not random because each one is a response to fear. David reveals how the what is of verse one overcomes our fears. When we fear darkness, when we fear evil, the Lord is my light. When we, when we fear defeat and failure, the Lord is my salvation. When we fear danger and difficulty, the Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is all of these things. And so just this first word of counsel is to think about the what is. Think about how the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. And not about the what ifs. Second, in the face of crisis, focus on the face of Christ. In the face of crisis, focus on the face of Christ. Let's read again uh, verses four through nine. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high up on a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. 
Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. In the face of crisis, focus on the face of Christ. If you recall, um, I did a six-week sermons back, uh, back in 2000, sermon series back in 2019 that I titled One Thing. And uh, my subtitle of that series was Becoming One Thing Disciples in a One More Thing World. And this was one of the texts that we looked at in that series um, because of what David prays here in verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord. You know, when we pray, our ask can be quite numerous. Um, the number of our requests can be rather lengthy. But I love what David does here because he narrows it, narrows it all down to one ask. He just asks for one thing. David's not coming to God to ask him for one more thing. Instead, he's just asking him for one thing. It's like he boils it all down to just this one ask. Now, David is going to ask the Lord for other things in his life, but, but this is his primary ask above all others. This is his one thing. If you were to ask God one thing this morning, what would you ask? Think about it. Health, relationship, safety, security, job. Would, it, would our primary ask be the one thing that David asks here in Psalm 27. What's his ask? His ask was to see his face. His ask was to see God's face. And this is a way of saying, I want to clearly and distinctly recognize and experience the presence of God in my life. When we ask to see God's face, that's what's being asked. We want to clearly and distinctly recognize and experience the presence of God in our lives. A couple of weekends ago, um, we were down in Nashville and uh, William was spending the night in the dorm room with JP. And so uh, Karen and I got to go out on a little date night. And uh, so we went out uh, onto the town and went out to this restaurant uh, that night. And we walked into this restaurant and standing in line was this girl who looked exactly like our oldest daughter, Bailey. I mean, she was just a spitting image. Now, we could only see her from the back. But her hair, her puffer jacket that she was wearing, just the, her size, the way she stood, I had to do a double take. I thought it was Bailey. But then she turned around and I saw her face. And it wasn't Bailey. And if you get that illustration then you begin to understand what David's asking for here. He wants to see the face of God. He wants to know for sure. He wants to clearly and distinctly recognize the presence of God in his life. Have you ever thought in your life, maybe that's God, but you just didn't know for sure. 
David's one primary ask is to clearly see the presence of God in his circumstances. Oh, he could have asked for all kinds of things. But the one thing, the primary ask is to see and experience the presence of God in his circumstance. To know that God is with him working for his good. That's what Paul writes in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. In the best of times and in the worst of times, we know that in all times, God is working for the good of those who love him. We know that it's true, but we just don't always see it. We don't always experience it clearly and distinctly. And David says that I want to I see his face. I want to know that it's him. Have you guys ever, uh, have you ever looked at one of those magic eye books? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's a book and you open it up and it looks like someone's thrown up on the page. And supposedly, if you look at it long enough, some beautiful image is supposed to come and you're like, oh, you know, it's a tropical rainforest. It's not throw up, right? <laughs> I, I can't do those. I've never been able to do them. Karen will tell you, I, I can stare at one for hours and see nothing. Right? But, but what David, the, the heart of David's prayer here, as he's trying to understand the throw up on the page that is his circumstances in life, is he wants to see the face of God. He wants to be able to look at the page and clearly and distinctly know that Christ is with him. That's the prayer. And he ends the psalm with, with verse, in verse 13. He says this great statement. I am still confident of this. I will see. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the face of God with me. I will experience his presence in my circumstance. And so... The second word of counsel is in the face of crisis, focus on the face of Christ. Third is this. Proclaim, declare, choose, even though in your scenario. Choose, declare, proclaim, the even though in your scenario. Listen, these, these two verses, verse 3 and verse 10, are significant verses. They're special verses. David makes two of his worst-case scenarios known to the Lord. And by bringing them to the Lord, I want you to see what he's doing. He's choosing to trust in God even in the worst of circumstances. You see, a life of faith chooses even though... In your scenario. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We're not losing more power in here, are we? <laughs> Remember, uh, there at the fiery furnace, I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says. 
We'll pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not. Robert Alter is a Jewish professor of Hebrew at the University of California. He says that verse 3 and verse 10 in Psalm 27 are two of the most extreme and extravagant declarations of trust in the whole Bible. Listen to again to what David writes in verse 3 and verse 10. Here's what he writes in verse 3. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Then in verse 10, even though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It reminds me of, of some of the most beloved words in all of the Bible found in Psalm 23 and verse 4, where David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, we can choose, we can declare, we can proclaim that even though, because we know that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. And so that's the third word of counsel here is just to, to choose the even though in our scenario. And then fourth, the last piece is this. This is from verses 13 and 14. Wait twice and be strong once. Wait twice and be strong once. Here's what David writes. In Psalm 13 and 14, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Wait twice. Be strong once. You familiar with the old expression, measure twice and cut once? I know Glenn is. Perhaps you've heard it said in the context of cutting wood or fabric, but the expression places emphasis on the measuring. You don't, you don't want to measure once and cut twice. You want to measure twice and cut once. Interestingly, I read this week that that expression comes from an old Russian proverb that actually says to measure seven times and cut once. So it's even more emphasis on the measuring well, I love how David concludes this psalm. He ends it with this same great exhortation that Moses gave to Joshua. Right before Joshua was embarking on this great, difficult journey of leading the Israelites into the promised land. Be strong and courageous. That's a great word of exhortation to end this, this psalm with. And it's a great word for us to hear because we want to be strong, we want to be courageous, and we don't want to be afraid. Yet here, David places this great exhortation in the middle of this double reminder. 
to wait upon the Lord. You see, the emphasis is on the waiting. David encourages us to wait. In our difficult circumstances, we need the strength, we need the courage to make it through a day. But even more than strength and courage, we need to be encouraged to wait. Sometimes, the strongest and most courageous thing that you can do in your difficult circumstance is to wait upon the Lord. For with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. And so we wait upon the Lord. He's the only one who can change our circumstances. His timing is always the best timing. His ways are not our ways. And so this fourth piece of counsel is to wait twice and be strong once. Think about the what is, not the what ifs. In the face of crisis, focus on the face of Christ. Choose, declare the even though in your scenario. Wait twice and be strong once. Church, I love you. And I pray that this pastoral counsel this morning has been helpful to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this sweet prayer of David's. So good for us to have really access to his prayer journal to encourage us as we, as we look to you in our difficulties of life. And so, I pray, Father, that you will just guide each one of us. I pray that you will strengthen us, that you will give us courage. I pray, Father, that we can be a family that supports each other, that comforts one another, that encourages one another um, as we wait upon you. Thank you for being uh, a, uh, such a wonderful God. Thank you for being our light. Thank you for being our salvation. Thank you for being our stronghold. Thank you for in our good times and in our bad times, we can know that we can rest assured that you're at work in both of those, always for our good. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Worship the Lord.